Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. From Variety, celebrating 115 years covering the business of entertainment, this is the Award Circuit Podcast. When fans come up to Stanley Tucci, it's usually to talk about films like Big Night or The Devil Wears Prada, but not always. Every now and again, someone will come up to me and say that they love the second movie I made, which was a huge flop called The Imposters. And they say it's my favorite movie of all time. And then I accuse them of having escaped from an asylum. I'm Janelle Riley. On this edition of the Variety Awards Circuit Podcast, we talk to Stanley Tucci about his new film, Supernova, in which he stars opposite Colin Firth. Also in this episode, we interview Katherine Waterston about her role in Mona Fastfold's latest, The World to Come. But first, on the Awards Circuit Roundtable, we talk SAG Awards and Critics' Choice Awards nominations and what it means for an ever-changing race. It's all on the latest edition of Variety's Awards Circuit Podcast. Stay close. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Variety Award Circuit. I'm Clayton Davis, the Film Awards Editor here at Variety, joined today with Janelle Riley. Hello. And Jess Anke. Hi. And Michael Schneider. Hello, hello, and I bow down to royalty, by the way. Thank you. I I expected to be introduced as your majesty, but but that's fine. (laughs) That's because I had my camera up at that that one moment, so I didn't see what you had. Oh, you didn't? Oh, well, yes, I'm wearing my... I just turned it awake. I was pulling something up, and then I got distracted. But you look look lovely, as always. Oh, now you're biggie. Now now, now you're... (laughs) I have my jaunty Coming to America 2 crown, and I'm wearing it at at a fun little angle like a beret. Yeah, no, no, that's that's the no- notorious uh, J E N E L L E. Did I just good. spell your name? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> no, you actually got it right, which is amazing because most people in my family misspell it, which is really uncool since they gave it to me. So, <laughs> can I get a, a shout out? I shaved today, and it was such a big deal. <laughs> what are you talking about? You have a full beard. Like, well, like, I lined myself, and I shaved my head, too. Like, oh, I, oh, well, you I had that on. I, I had it, like, I had let it go for a little bit because I was just getting lazy, and then I needed to finally take care of it. Clayton, so you made... can't just let me have some attention for, for the crown. You <laughs> yes. have to somehow bring it back to I, you. I'm, so, I'm sorry, Olivia <laughs> Coleman. It's always you. Yeah, yeah. Well, Clayton, facial, facial hair is on point, so... Yes. So, I'm to be like you, Michael Schneider. I want to be like you when I grow up. Oh, I'm a mess. I, I <laughs> <laughs> when did I last shower? Who knows? This is our reality. Uh, yeah, Sh- showering is optional these these days, and I I besmirch anyone who says they shower every day. 
It's well, ridiculous. you've already dispersed me, so you may as well continue. Yeah. <laughs> well, I shower twice a day. Moving on. Oh, twice a day? Oh, Jazz is showering for all of us. Oh, yeah, no. oh God. <laughs> she probably brushes her teeth twice a day, too. <laughs> all right, let, let's, let's, kick, let's kick it off with some SAG nominations. Nothing happened SAG. this week. It's been quiet. <laughs> SAG nominations. I mean, I guess the big surprises, first of all, was Amy Adams is in and Amanda Seyfried is out. Oh, not you that they're in the same category. You want to go right into it. All right, you want to go <laughs> right not? into it with, with film. All right. Yep. Uh, actress Amy Adams, Viola Davis, Vanessa Kirby, Frances McDormand, Carrie Mulligan. Uh, so new, um, new theory. <laughs> I'm going to share this theory, get it on record. Because uh, I'm not convinced that this is the Glenn Close year yet. Like, I'm not, I'm not like, in the she's winning boat. No, but, no. But, but she's getting nominated. Do, if I do get into the boat that she's winning, then I'm predicting Amy Adams to uh, get nominated, too. I think it's going to be sheer mathematics. It's going to be uh, Leonardo DiCaprio Revenant, Tom Hardy Revenant. Like, she'll get such a plurality that it brings in someone else on the coattails. It's just very interesting because um, Amy Adams didn't really campaign. In fact, I, I don't know if I saw her doing any press for the all. movie. Like yeah, zero, yeah. zero. This is. Have you guys ever seen the Distinguished Gentleman with Eddie Murphy from the nineties? I have a crown for that movie too here somewhere. <laughs> all my Eddie Murphys come <laughs> with crowns. It, we're going to keep Eddie Murphy based. Anyone, <laughs> anyone's ever not seen it? It's the greatest. It's one of the greatest. His greatest films. But uh, in the film, he runs for Congress. And his name is Jeff Johnson, and Jeff Johnson is dead. It's sheer uh, name recognition. People just check it off because they know the name. And I feel like Amy Adams was kind of that. But not for nothing, she is good in the movie, despite the reviews of She's the movie. She's always good. Yeah, yeah. Have you seen it yet, Janelle? Oh, I knew that was coming. I will watch it at some point this week. I'm going to watch it before the Oscars, and that's what matters. She won't wait till nomination morning. No, 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 no. It's now, uh, it's a a SAG Award nominee. I really, I like everybody in it. I got to check it out. I've been meaning to. I will watch it this week. By the time you ask me this question next week, I will have answers. All right, we'll see. Yeah, you're probably smart. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Next on the docket, uh, let's go to Actor. Where Sorry, we ha- I hate oh. to say I told you so, but what have I been saying all season? Riz Ahmed, Chadwick Boseman, Anthony Hopkins, <laughs> Gary Oldman, Stephen Young. I don't, I'm not convinced on Gary Oldman yet, and because of this reason. So you already, you already put this at the top of the show. Amanda Seyfried? Are we saying that right? Seyfried. Seyfried. We're, we're learning how to pronounce names on this podcast. We're really educating the world. Uh, Amanda Seyfried. The same reason Delroy Lindo is not there is a choice. It's not like an oversight, right? It's not like, oh, he was probably six. Like, they went for the Five Bloods and Supporting Actor and SAG Ensemble, and Delroy wasn't there. Mank, Manda Seyfried not being a Supporting Actress seems like a choice. And Mank only popped up for Gary Oldman, and it feels like Christian Bale, Ford v. Ferrari. So it may be like one of those checkoff boxes that may fall off in the end, or you're right, Janelle, and I will bow to the to the queen in that ma- manner that he does make it. I, I would be happy to be wrong. I would be happy to see Delroy Lindo there. I've just never I been convinced. I don't know if it's going to be Delroy though that gets to his place. I think, oh, like I hate. I, I I feel like I don't know if there's a road for Delroy anymore. Really? Because he missed Globe, he missed SAG, he's shortlisted for BAFTA, but. Elephant in the room, we know how BAFTA votes, and they don't usually go in any kind of tinted 
area. So I don't expect them to make BAFTA. So you make you got Critics' Choice, but like I don't know where that road is. Like it's, it's hard. It's hard to pop yeah. up like that. I wouldn't put too much stock in the Globe snub. The SAG snub is the yeah. one that concerns me. Yeah. But there's still time, you know, and perhaps all this days. talk of how, you know, how it's it's wrong that Delroy Lindo wasn't nominated gets him in there. Do you think Delroy getting in with the Critics' Choice had something to do with the SAG votes? Because I know no. a lot of people had no, it. No, no, he was always in. Yeah, was we were always critics. going to do yeah. that. So that, that was 100%, like, just... We were going to, but also in a field of eight. So like th- problems for another day. Um, but <laughs> what, what helps a little bit with Delroy, which people don't know, he was born in England. Maybe BAFTA will go for him. I did not know that. Yes. That's cool. Uh, BAFTA has, has he, yeah. jazz is dead. <laughs> <laughs> we bonded over that. Not, not him being my dad. <laughs> like, <laughs> Are we starting well, that rumor we, now? Is that <laughs> when can we get a Delroy Lindo movie where he has a proper British accent? Then I know. Yeah, I don't know if he lived there his whole life. I don't. Like, I just know he was born there. But yeah, so Delroy is gonna Stephen Yun. Talk about a drop in the bucket. He needed that. I was so happy for him. So I think he translates okay. Yeah, I was pretty thrilled with the Minari love uh, shown by SAG because you hope. You know, but it's yeah. it's different you this year. Know. You know, I'm I'm talking to a lot of people who love the movie. I don't know who's seen it, and seeing it get three nominations, especially that ensemble nom, was was just beautiful. Uh, and then I feel good with Riz Chadwick and Anthony, supporting actress Maria Bakalova, Glenn Close, Olivia Coleman, Yu Jung Yoon, and Helena Zangle. Okay, um, <laughs> I just think it's funny that there are people who still think Maria Bakalova is not getting an Oscar nomination. Why, why is that? I, I think they think, they, they keep comparing it to Jennifer Lopez, and I'm not sure that's a fair comparison that's for many reasons. Yeah. yeah, Maria Bakalova is a, is a newcomer. Um, that's, it's, I, I mean, and also let's just, it's, it's one of the best performances of the year. Nobody could have done what she did. Sasha Baron Cohen has even said, you know, they couldn't have made this movie without her. Look at what she does. It's an, it's an amazing performance. It's an amazing role. And I, I think that the Academy is going to recognize that. I mean, if she had not gotten SAG, I would have, you know, bent on this a bit. But no, she's, I think she's getting in. Yeah, I think she... I mean, I, I can hear the argument of a comedy. Like, people are like, oh, it's a comedy performance, and sometimes they don't do that. Supporting, and, though. And Borat, like, as of right now, I can't find another spot for it in another category. So she will be the sole nomination of the film, more than likely. Really? You think you don't think song or script? Script? Um, First one no. got a nomination. Yeah, and it, I think it, didn't get, it didn't get long-listed at BAFTA. Ah. Oh. Just Maria. Sasha didn't even get long listed at BAFTA, which I thought was a little surprising. Wow. So, I don't know. I'm you... very happy for Helena. Sorry. Yeah, go ahead. Helena Zengel. She's great. I mean, that is, that's just come out of nowhere, and she's the one flying the flag for that film right now. Like, yeah. Thought... I, I think uh, someone could correct me if I'm wrong. They're going to scream into, the, into their podcast earphones. I think if a kid gets Globe and Sag, they don't miss Oscar. Like, I don't yeah, think I think ever right. Well, Jacob Tremblay did. Well, he, he didn't get he Globe, didn't get though. Globe. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, he SAG got SAG. always goes for kids, but there's no, like when you get both, you don't miss. Saoirse Ronan even missed uh, SAG for a tome. For a tome. Really? She did? Yeah. No, um, it's interesting because both Maria and Helena were uh, on our 10 Actors to Watch 
uh, for 2020. And yeah, those were the two that I was like, they're getting nominated. But, you know, if there's a spoiler in this category, obviously Ellen Burstyn uh, didn't make the cut at Globes. Did she make it at SAG? I'm sorry, I don't have it no, in front of me. No, Globes and SAG, she missed. She just got That's astonishing she's to in me. The, she's in the Delroy yeah. vote. But um, uh, Dominique Fishback, I think, is a really a, another one of Variety's 10 actors to watch. In fact, Judas and the Black Messiah, the whole cast is... Former and current ten actors to watch: Lakeith Sandfield, <laughs> Daniel Kaluuya, and Dominique. But Fishback. Oscar, you know where to start your road, then. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Did, did Variety get a casting credit at all? <laughs> <laughs> yes, I'm sure it was us. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. I don't know. It's going to be an interesting kind of kind of race. But with Amanda not there, this could end up Olivia. Uh, not Olivia Glenn Close by accident, like just because she's the one that's at both. Olivia Coleman, though, SAG loves to course correct. Uh, when someone wins the Oscar, but they didn't give it to them, a la Judy Dench for Shakespeare in Love. They gave it to her the very next year for Chocolat. They gave Christopher Walken, Catch Me If You Can. Uh, they gave Sean Penn for Milk because they didn't give it to him for Mystic River. So sometimes it could kind of flip in that direction. So I'd watch for Olivia Coleman. The father's having a resurgence. I would too. And I love, I love uh, the father. Um, although they may assume they're they're already giving it to her in TV for for the crown. Although that the female actor in a drama series is an interesting category because you do have Jillian Anderson, Olivia Coleman, and Emma Corrin going up against each other, potentially splitting the vote. But then you've got the two Ozark stars, uh, Julia Garner and, and Laura Linney, also going up against each other, splitting that Ozark fan vote. So <laughs> they love Ozark. They love Ozark and they love the crown. And yet, poor Tom Pelfrey who deserves nominations more than anyone, one of our 10 actors to watch, by the way. Um, yeah, who delivered the most amazing performance. Can't seem to get love anywhere. Mike, uh, do you know that Olivia Coleman has not lost a Golden Globe yet? She's three for three. She is awards catnip, as, yep. as we like to say. And uh, she could totally win both again this year. She'll be five for five. Like, it would be bananas. She could just like sweep all these award shows, and I would not be surprised. Uh, no, you know, people that's the love thing. No seeing one would her be up angry. on stage. No. <laughs> yeah, no, yeah. Who, who's gonna get mad at Olivia Coleman? I dare you. No, I dare you. No one. She is a um, global treasure. <laughs> and uh, last acting category at SAG: supporting actor Chadwick Boseman, Sasha Baron Cohen, Daniel Kaluuya, Jared Leto, Leslie Odom Jr. <laughs> well, I really don't understand why people are so shocked over Jared Leto. I really don't. Um, I'm like, listen, and it's funny, guys. Uh, we said it here. We said, yeah, he could be in the running. But I guess when you really see it happen, you're like, oh, wow, he really is in the running. Considering Paul Racy missed. Yeah. Well, again, that's a critic thing. I love Paul Racy. I want to see him in here, but I was never convinced it was happening. I also think he's the one that, uh, because there are no parties this year, he's the most hurt by that. Because put him in a room with Oscar voters, I feel like. He wins this year, but they don't know who he is yet. But people really love the little things. They like, do, any, yeah. I've been watching reactions. My favorite tweet from SAG Day was, uh, do you guys follow the Americana at Brand memes uh, Twitter feed? No. Their, their line was, SAG voters, stay in line. Make sure your vote counts. We have to stop Jared Leto. <laughs> No, I I said something about how like I don't know why people are surprised. He's an Oscar-winning actor in a flashy movie with a with you know and and he's playing like a really juicy part. You know, he may or may not be a lot of makeup. It's a transformation, and and Oscar loves to be reaffirmed when like they do that one like kind of one and done. They just by the way, 
we really like this guy, so here's this nomination down the road, Marion Cotillard, two days, one night. Which is deserved, by the way. Well, I'm not saying that Jared's isn't deserved. Yeah. I mean, I, th- I think he's really good. And boy, did a lot of people have things to say about that. Yeah. <laughs> Three-horse race, by the way. Cohen, Kaluuya, Odom, pick your, pick your favorite. I, I don't know who wins right now. I'm still holding out for, oh, hey, th- how about this for a segue? Some Stanley Tucci love. Tucci gang, Tucci gang, Tucci gang. Ah, <laughs> uh, uh, like Tucci needed this. He needed it. Yeah. Well, the movie, I don't know if people have seen the movie yet. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, maybe Tucci will eventually get a, a TV uh, news Emmy for his CNN series about <laughs> drinking Which, by wine the way, is delightful. Italy. Yeah. <laughs> it yeah, is it delightful. Is He's a wonderful host. Uh, last bit, we're not going to go to every category because we don't go through categories that have eight and seven nominees, but Critics' Choice. Also, it's the Critics, and like I have this theory. I don't wait, know if you've wait, heard it. Wait, can you share that? What, 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 what is it about Critics? <laughs> critics the, the, aren't Oscar voters. <laughs> wait, no. <laughs> I know. No. Breaking news. <laughs> Hashtag truth. Like, can I, 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 I complain about this on Twitter. I'll complain it here out in the open. You do no good to Ben Affleck for The Way Back, who is great to see him nominated, but in a field of eight, you look at it, and it doesn't give him his moment to shine. So let's just streamline this thing. So we have six nominees. If you're going to do six, do six everywhere. That's it. Leave it. Is that what it's supposed to be? Six in every category? Yeah. Ah. We have six, sevens, and eights. We have 15 actors nominated between lead and both lead categories. How many of those are just Chadwick Boseman, though? One, because he's not nominated for Best <laughs> what? Actress. What? Oh, okay. <laughs> lead. Sorry. I was... uh, we do have three women in uh, director, though. I, I want to I say this out in the open now. Is anyone scared to death we won't even get two women at the Oscars? Of course. Of course. I'm scared we won't even get one, although I no, think we will. No, stop. Yeah. No. I thought that, but I think Chloe Zhao is going to get in, and that's the definite everybody else i'm terrified for because we've gone through this so many times yeah we've been burned you don't think regina king because i mean she she also is awards catnip these days she's actually the of the three the one that i worry might be the most vulnerable yeah i have nightmares that she misses all the time and it's and, and listen she is awards catnip but but the director's branch is fickle and treacherous and they will leave <laughs> Catherine Bigelow off for Zero Dark Thirty just because. Uh, Clayton's finger is getting a workout right now, pointing at all of us. Yeah, He is pointing at the screen. Yeah, um, things got dark. When we have a chance, since we're recording this the day after the Super Bowl, I would like to start talking about next year's Oscars, because I saw the promo for the new M. Night Shyamalan movie. And I'm so excited. Oh, M. Night Shyamalan's <laughs> Lost? Old, Yes. <laughs> I can't help. I'm, I am a sucker for his films. And by what the way, if you te- haven't. What a terrible Super Bowl, by the way. Oh, I was kind of in and out, yeah. I tuned out. It was boring. Yeah. Uh, best Picture Critics Choice The Five Bloods, Ma Rainey, Mank, Minari, Minotti, sorry. News of the World, Nomad Land, One Night in Miami, Promising Young Woman, Town of Metal, Child of Chicago 7. No Judas. The, which is really kind of appalling. Yeah, that, that's a real bummer. By the way, I don't know if you saw my tweets over the weekend, but my mom is a really good gauge of what's going to win Best Picture because she sort of is that middle America vote. Um, she saw Minari and she loved it, but I could not get her to talk about the movie. She just wanted to talk about how handsome the father in the movie was. 
And that's not like her. She never really? comments. Yeah. She doesn't, she's not like some, I think the last celebrity crush she had was Richard Gere like 30 years ago. She's not like someone who comments on that stuff and she wouldn't stop talking about it. And I would be like, oh yeah, and you know, uh, it's it's based on Lee Isaac Chung's real life. And she's like, yeah, yeah. But that father was really good looking. <laughs> I mean, he's very attractive. Like, you know, just, just traditionally attractive. And I was like, oh, okay, mom, this is getting weird. <laughs> um, and then I called her later that night to get some information on something. And the first thing she said was, what's that handsome father's name again? Because she wanted to look up some of his movies. Oh, my God. She put her into Walking Dead so she could just see him get tortured for <laughs> well, that's seasons. It. I was like, I can't recommend any of his movies. She's not going to enjoy Walking Dead. She's not going to like burning. She won't like be able to, to handle Okja. Uh, mayhem, you know. I love Okja. I do too, but it's not for my mom. Trust me. Just yeah. have her do a Google Im- image search and just like scroll through <laughs> just Google images. That, that let her leave, stay at that. Oh, we should all buy her a Stephen Young calendar for her birthday. It'll come Is from that a all thing? I don't know. We'll make one. I'm sure. They okay. Can, I'm sure, there's a thing somewhere. You know what I sent her was like some funny clips of him on Conan and stuff, like going to the Korean spa. Yeah, nice, nice wholesome. Tell her to listen to our podcast because we interviewed him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, if she can figure out how podcasts work. So then this week, what we have left this week, guys. So we have shortlist, which is going to be out by the time you're hearing this. So uh, we don't know what it is yet, but sure. Um, and then we have nothing for three weeks. <laughs> and by nothing, Golden Globes are on the 28th. Uh, just throwing it out there, uh, Judas and the Black Messiah will be out on February 12th and streaming on HBO Max as well. It's one of the best movies of the season, despite what some of these nominations may say. <laughs> Dominique Fishback is amazing. Fantastic. I want it for her so bad. And I, th- I think she's in the running, too. I, I do, too. I really do, yeah. I mean, it's, it's a late entry. I mean, obviously people have seen it because Daniel got in, but... I, I think, you know, with a little more time, maybe it would have uh, done a little better at SAG. Uh, I actually just looked. So actually, uh, next week, uh, final Golden Globe balloting begins on the 10th. Oh, this week, the day that this podcast comes. No, day before. So we have final Golden Globe voting. <laughs> we need to get you a Stephen Yoon calendar. I, I'm looking at the <laughs> list here. Stephen uh, Yoon, sorry. Uh, Writers Guild voting ends on the 12th. Mm. And then final SAG voting starts on the 16th. And then uh, WGA nominations are on the 16th. It's happening, people. Uh, Mike, what's your what's your big wish? To, so we can give you something to talk about here with TV. <laughs> yeah, Mike, justify <laughs> oh, your existence. Yeah, here. Throw, throw some charity my way. All <laughs> right, fine. <laughs> uh, what, what what is the one TV show you want to see go big at the Globes? Um, wow. What do I want to see go big? I mean, honestly, I would be excited to see Ted Lasso. Uh, you know, as, as this, Creek. Ted wow. Lasso. Fan cast. I love, I love, I love the Shit's Creek, but it it's already got all the Emmys. Yeah. It's you know, it's it's kind of. I kind of think I, it's going to lose everything. I don't think it's going to sweep. I think it's maybe not even going to win one. I, I mean, I think it's a chance that uh, you know Ted, Ted Lasso and Sudeikis sort of take take it, which I wouldn't be mad at. I think it's probably time to. And if if the Globes really want to, uh, you know, once again claim being first out, uh, given the first <laughs> major award to, to love that them show. freshman shows. That would be the the way to do it. So that would be fun. I mean, I think I think they're going to give the drama stuff to the to the crown, no doubt. Um, so so I think the chance to be new and fresh is is on the Ted Lasso side. Quick question: Was Hannah Waddingham nominated for supporting actress at the Critics' Choice? Um. Oh, 
I think. Yes, so. she was. She was. I just looked was. it up. Okay. Okay. They have redeemed themselves in my eyes. Yeah. <laughs> um, no comment. Yeah. Uh, wait. Oh, one last thing. And Mike, I would like us. Oh, we should all do this. Can we get a strongly worded letter sent to SAG that it's about damn time that the limited series has an ensemble category and we have supporting categories in the TV side? Because not having them seems really stupid. Yeah, I, I yeah. think it, it is way overdue. And I, I get it. It's already a long show. They don't want to add even more. It's, it's the shortest show of the it's season. It's so short. Yeah. They only throw the ensemble. They always throw stunt ensemble on the red carpet during like, before the yeah. show even begins. I mean, the problem with that that show is it already is just award, 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 award. There's no enter- not a lot of entertainment on it, so to throw in even more awards would just be even more of a crush. So I get that, but but I also think it's it's overdue. Um, you know, especially now that limited series is becoming the most competitive of all the categories and the most interesting and it's, it's refreshed every year. Whereas we're complaining about oh, another year of the crown, uh, you know, limited at least is like movies where every year you're going to get a fresh batch, uh, um, unless However, people find a way to game the system, which sometimes they do. Yes. What a testament to Bill camp who essentially appeared in one episode of the queen's gambits and got nominated. And David for- Diggs, the mm-hmm. representation for Hamilton. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. What's funny is like, yeah, because, well, it is a movie. So and they do combine movie and TV series. So I I guess that's, that's fine. I mean, he was also great in uh, the good Lord bird. So I like to think of that as like a dual nomination, even though it's technically. Do you like the the good Lord bird? I like it a lot. I do. Yeah. Yeah. I'm surprised it actually hasn't gotten more love. But I think, uh, I think it's gotten more than expected because you know it's it's it is niche. it's been drowned <laughs> it's very niche it's been drowned yeah. out by so so many big streaming shows so good on Showtime to actually they did okay at the Globes uh, yeah. and SAG so I feel like they've always had really good shows that they just like are always fighting for the noise and mm. like just and it just sucks for the, yeah that I mean part. the streamers the streamers are taking over you see it oh, everywhere I, did, I mean, oh speaking of streamers I did watch Wandavision. Oh yes! Welcome to the party. It's great, huh? I I th- so I have a thing. It's a really bad thing, but I have a thing about I I, I got spoiled. I can't do this week to week nonsense. So I was actually when I watched the first episode, I was hoping I was going to hate it, so that I could be like, all right, I don't need to like watch it. So now I'm caught up with all the rest of the, the world, and now like I'm like a got some kind of twerp. I have to sit and wait for Friday to come to see what happens next. But that's what's fun about it. It's like you have something to look forward to. You get to think about it all week. And then Friday, you're like, I have a new episode. It's... It's fun. I some shows I think, and and actually our TV critic uh, Carolyn Framke wrote a great story about this. Some some shows do benefit, I think, from that weekly drop, and and that and the Mandalorian before it. Uh, wait, actually, Mike. And last question, then we're gonna go. Uh, does Wandavision it has to compete in comedy per the rules unless they petition? To go drama because they're yeah, thirty but minutes. Th- they'll definitely put it in comedy. I mean, because yeah, it is thirty minutes, so it's definitely going to land in comedy. That's where they'll put it because it's it's a parody of comedy. So, um, yeah, it yeah. is. Even the dramatic parts. I mean, you've got Cat uh, Dennings and and R- Randall Park. Like their their sort of interaction is kind of humorous. I ship them so hard. Oh yeah, I want to see those two get together. I think we're gonna Randall idea. Park spinoff is gonna be awesome. But wait, hold on. So would we have all objected if Avengers and Avengers Endgame went comedy at the Globes? Um, 
I mean, I think there is some Marvel properties. I mean, uh, Thor Ragnarok. Yeah, I guess comedy. Ant Man could have gotten comedy, and that's also Randall Park. Uh, by the way, Randall Park is also in the new Young Rock, the the, the new Rock sitcom. So it's Randall oh, no Park's way. world right now. Oh, it's a is fun he show. Really? Oh, I'm yeah. excited for that. Yeah, it's a fun one. Oh, so. and we're getting uh, the new Keenan show next week too. I'm really excited for that. Cover of this week's uh, Variety on stands. Oh, yeah, you can now. say it's after. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so. Written by Michael Schneider. So there Yay. you go. Pick it up wherever you pick up your your magazines. I, I have a bold prediction. Keenan Thompson, I think, wins the Emmy this year. This year for Saturday Night Live? Because I just feel like there's a, they've done a lot of like you know Kate McKinnon's and stuff over time, and I feel like there's just I think if Keenan if the show goes over well, I think it's going to be a groundswell, and I think he may win this year. I I wouldn't be mad at it. I wouldn't no, be mad at it. everyone loves Keenan. I think Keenan definitely like. I mean, he's he he is the MVP. Yeah. Uh, he can just SNL. say a line, and it like leaves me laughing. I want Kel Mitchell to present him the award, though. <laughs> well, they're pals again now, so I know things were a little weird for a while, but they're they're pals. All right, so this week's episode, we got speaking of the Tooch, Toochie Gang, Toochie Gang, and Catherine Watterson. Catherine Watterson, the world to come. Which just premiered when well, it played at Sundance. It actually premiered, um, I believe, at Venice. Yeah, yeah. Vanessa Kirby's in that too. Yes, she is. Great cast. Great cast. All right, we'll see you on the circuit. Enjoy the interview. See you guys. It's Variety's Award Circuit Podcast. I'm Janelle Riley. Written and directed by Harry McQueen, Supernova stars Stanley Tucci and Colin Firth as long-term lovers on a final road trip. Tucci's character Tusker is entering the stages of dementia, leaving Sam, played by Firth, to struggle with his care as they travel to visit friends and family, likely for the last time. If you had one wish in the world, what would it be? I wish this holiday wouldn't end. So can you tell that it's gotten worse? I'd like to make a speech. I, uh... Well, maybe, maybe Sam will do it for me. I'd, I'd, I'd love to you do it for me. Now, as most of you will know, I'm slowly losing my ability to remember. And I definitely wouldn't be here if it weren't for this man next to me. I want to be remembered for who I was, but not for who I'm about to become. I recently spoke to Tucci about making Supernova, his friendship with Firth, and his upcoming CNN show, Stanley Tucci's Searching for Italy. He also discussed his long career, including his most challenging roles, and the films he's most recognized for. I started our conversation by asking how Tucci found the script to Supernova. It was sent to me through my agent, and I read it and I thought, my God, that's so beautiful. Like, it's so beautiful. You know, there was no money. There was no money. They didn't have the money. And there was no, you weren't going to make any money on it. You weren't, you know, but, you know, I, I'm an independent filmmaker. I never, I can't pay anybody any money when they make a movie with me. So I'm very used used to it. And I've made many independent movies as, a, as an actor. So, but I thought, my God, this is beautiful. And my agent said, you know, look at this film he made. So Harry had made this movie called Hinterland, which he basically made. He made for 10,000 pounds. And um, it was beautiful. It was equally as poetic 
uh, and in its, <clears throat> but also visually poetic, which you, when you read uh, Supernova, you thought, oh my God, this could also be quite stunning. Uh, and then I met with Harry, we had a wonderful meeting and I said, I think Colin Firth should play the other guy. And, but unbeknownst to Harry, I had slipped it to Colin and Colin read it and he goes, my God, I love this. It's so beautiful. And then we did it. I mean, once Colin signed on, it became a very real project. And you and Colin are friends. You, you go back a long time, right? Yeah, 20 years. Did yeah. you, uh, forgive me for not knowing off the top of my head, had you worked together? Yeah, we did a, th a thing for HBO 20 years ago uh, called Conspiracy. Oh, of Actually, course. Yeah. Okay, yeah. Yeah, and, um, and we became friends there, and then we ended up doing something here about 10 years ago called Gambit um, that Michael Hoffman directed. Uh, and But we'd always been friends. Mm -hmm. um, and then, you know, then, you know, now I'm, I'm here. And so we see each other all the, all the time. Our kids ended up, two of our kids ended up going to the same school right around the corner. And, you know, the kids are friends and it's nice. And was it always going to be uh, the character Sam and Tusker? Was he always going to play Sam? You were always going to be Tusker? No, no. Really? no, Harry asked me to play Sam. And then when Colin signed on, we talked about everything talking through the script and talking to this and blah, 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 blah. And then Colin, one day he goes, Stan, I think maybe we should switch roles. And I said, I've been thinking the same thing. Really? We went to Harry and he saw sort of Harry Blanche and go, Oh God, you know, what have I gotten myself into? We haven't even started shooting and they're torturing me, you know, these two old veterans. And Harry goes, all right, let's just read it both ways. So we read, like five scenes or something. And uh, it was pretty obvious right away that that was the way it was supposed to be. And I don't know why. It is obvious when you see it, it works so well, but what was it that made you think, you know what, let, let me let me try Tusker. <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't know. There was something when I was reading Sam, I, and I didn't say it out loud, but then Colin said it. And I was like, he goes, let's try switching. And then as soon as I read Tusker, there was something rhythmically that was more right. There was something about his humor. There was something about his sort of teasing Sam, which is sort of the way I tease Colin. I, I don't know. It just, it just read better. Yeah. You, you know, you said that, that you've known Colin for a long time, but you can, you can know someone, you can get along great with them. And for whatever mysterious reason, the chemistry isn't there on screen. Like, oh, you yeah. know, I've seen it happen so many times. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. You guys have beautiful chemistry. It really feels like this lived-in relationship. Is that something you have to work at or you just hope for the best when they turn on the cameras? I think the, the thing is, Colin has articulated this beautifully. You know, doing the dramatic stuff sometimes isn't as hard as people think it is, or even as you might think it is as an actor. It's the lighter stuff where you can ring false. Mm -hmm. And you see that in, in movies where people don't really know each other, but they're trying to be friends or something. And sometimes you just kind of go like, eh, I'm not so sure I buy that. With us, 
because we know each other so well, because that is so much our relationship, it was just there. And Harry was kind enough to allow us to play around with the script. I was always sort of playing around with lines and making stuff up. But for the most part, it's, it's, really, it's, it's really what Harry wrote. But that lightness, that's the hardest stuff to achieve. And, and I think because of our history, we were able to achieve it. It's interesting because I've talked to actors who have done deeply, deeply dramatic roles and they have said that the hardest thing they've ever had to do is a rom-com because people know how it's going to turn out. You're playing something that's been seen before and to keep that lightness exactly yeah. like you said is really, really tough. Yeah. You have to have fun with it and, and you can't try to be funny. Mm -hmm. If you try to be funny, you just won't be funny. I mean, you won't. You have to try to be funny for the, if you're, if you're doing something where you're trying to be funny for the person you're playing opposite, then you have to really do that. You can't try to be funny for the audience and for that person. If you're funny for the person opposite you, you'll be funny for the audience. You know, it's the old, it's the old line that there was no coward who said there was, you know, he was in a play and direct directing one of his plays and, one of the actors said, you know, I'm not getting a laugh when I ask for the tea. In the, you know, in this scene, when I ask for the tea, I'm not getting the laugh. He says, that's because you're asking for the laugh. Mm -hmm. Ask for the tea and you'll get the laugh. Sometimes that's you all you need to know about comedy. <laughs> no, but you're, you're right. I mean, sometimes you can see people sweating to, to get the joke. Yeah, and, and it's like, it's not funny. Yeah. <laughs> This this movie does have humor in the way that life has humor, even though it's a, about this very tragic subject. Um, did you have to take on any sort of special research or preparation to play Tusker, who is, is you know, sadly slipping into dementia? Yeah. Um, well, Harry had done so much research. You know, a lot of it was right there on the page um, in his stage directions and in his dialogue. Uh, but his research, he was kind enough to, you know, pass on all that research. And so I use that. Uh, plus, we met with a doctor who works with people with early onset dementia that Harry had gotten to know. And we met with him and we looked at footage that he had of certain people. And, you know, it was, I watched a lot of documentaries and read, you know, sort of articles about it. And, you know, you do it over a period of, however long before you shoot the film. And it was, it was very hard to, very hard to watch, mm -hmm. very hard to, to see because I, and I don't have any experience with, with that. You know, you know what it's like when somebody gets older and they, you know, or someone gets very ill from a, you know, a terminal illness or something. I've experienced those things, but not, a loss of a seemingly incredibly healthy person, you know, who's in their forties or fifties or, you know, it's just weird. Was and it tragic? Sorry. No, 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 no. <laughs> We're here to hear you talk. <laughs> no, it's, it's sad. It's just, it's heart. It's, it's heartbreaking mm -hmm. for the person and for, you know, for the people who are looking after them. People who love them, kids. I mean, people with young kids in their 40s. Especially when they look healthy. 
You yeah, know, that's the like thing. The same person. That's the yeah. thing. Like you can't. Like if you see someone who's sick, someone has cancer, or someone had you. Like it's it, it's something that we recognize. Mm-hmm. It's something we go. Oh, that person. If their physical self isn't healthy, for some reason we can understand that. We can't mm-hmm. understand the other thing. Was it challenging for you, um, you know, to 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 be in these sort of dark places while shooting? to go home at the end of the day? You know, were you able to leave Tusker behind um, or do yes. you kind of carry yes. him with you? Oh, good. <laughs> no, no, it's always there. No, it's always there in you. But I think after 40 years in show business, you, 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 you figure out ways to keep yourself sane and not get sucked in. Otherwise you'd go crazy. Mm-hmm. You wouldn't go crazy. If you really kept that with you, all the time, you wouldn't be able to function. And you have to function. You have a life, you have a kids, you have, you know, other things you're doing while you're making a movie. So you can't just be a person with dementia. <laughs> you can't, but it stays in you. It's, it's, it's hard to, you know, it, it enters your dreams, it enters your it enters your subconsciousness to your unconsciousness, your consciousness. And you sort of have to fight not to think about it sometimes. I mean, I think a lot of people would love to get in a big RV and drive through the country with you and Colin Firth. But um, <laughs> in, in terms of a movie, that's got to be challenging. Um, you know, you're constantly on the move. You're in this tiny space. Um, yeah. what, was it fun or was it, was it difficult? Maybe it was both. Well, it was sometimes it was fun. Sometimes it was like you're in the Lake District in October, November. I mean, it was damp and cold and it rained. I don't mind the cold if it's snowing, but it's that English winter. And in the Lake District, the winter seems to come early. Um, It's the wettest. There is one town not far from where we were, which is the wettest place in England. If you can imagine such a thing, that's already a lot. <laughs> how many redundancies are there? But um, yeah, it was fun. It was fun. It's always fun. But yeah, sometimes you're like, what am I doing in this van in the middle of whatever? And I'm about to be 60 years old. Do I, what am I doing with my life? You know, um, but that's okay. I'm with, you know, one of my best friends. Sorry. Yeah. And I knew you're making a beautiful you're making a beautiful movie. Although I, I am curious because you, you really don't know what the movie's going to look like until no, that's, it's done. That's, yeah. That's you hope you're making a beautiful movie. Yeah. <laughs> <Have> you, <laughs> Based on a beautiful script. Right, right. And luckily it did turn out beautifully. But, um, yeah. you know, have you ever been in a situation where you found out when the movie came out that it was a completely different movie than you had in your mind? Sometimes for have the Have you ever been in that situation? Like, yeah, a lot. <laughs> Yeah, I won't tell you which ones, but I think it'll be pretty evident. Um, yeah, you just never know. It's a, it's a sort of, especially with an independent movie, you never know. I mean, you you make a big movie, you know, this could be really great, and but also it could be maybe okay, but you're making some money, you know. With an independent movie, like, you're not making any money. And you're in usually pretty uncomfortable circumstances. Um, 
and you're not seeing your family and you're not whatever. And then it comes out and it's just like, that didn't work, did it? You know? And then as soon as the movie's over, like you have to just go get a job to make money, you know, but that's the way it is. You, it's a leap of faith and anybody, you know, as an independent film filmmaker myself, I'm, you know, if somebody wants to make something that they really have a clear vision for it and it's, they're trying to really do something. Sure. I'll be there. Has it ever turned out the other way where you were pleasantly surprised? that something was was so much better than you thought? Absolutely, yes, 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 maybe. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Going back to how beloved and adored you are, I I know that we're in this lockdown, we have been for, you know, almost a year now, but normally when you're sort of out and about, uh, do people approach you and and what role or film do they mostly want to talk about? Well, it's a lot of different ones. I mean, um, people do. It's interesting. England's quite different than um, Mm -hmm. America. Americans are very like, you know, just come right at you. Yeah. Uh, Italians come right at you. Really? Yeah. Going to you go to Spain and um, the British are much more like if I take the tube here, it's usually tourists who will come up to me, whereas the British see you and they kind of go. Every now and then, <laughs> the polite you know. nod. Yeah. I'm like, or they go like, are you, but um, usually it's like the devil wears Prada. People love, they love the, the terminal. Uh, Big night is one that I get uh, or um, Julian Julia or, you know, transformer, you know, usually the bigger for the most part, the bigger films. Every now and again, someone will come up to me and say that they love the second movie I made, which was a huge flop called The Imposters. And they say, it's my favorite movie of all time. And then I accuse them of having escaped from an asylum. Oh, I love that movie. (laughs) I was actually hoping you would mention that movie because I'm a big (laughs) fan of it. It, You know, I like, yeah, I can't watch it, but I wish I hadn't directed it. I wish someone else had directed it. And then I think it would have been a really good movie. (laughs) Why did you choose to direct it? Because I thought I saw it clearly, Mm. but I didn't. I had a very sort of dogmatic um, view of it. And uh, it ruined it. Is there one, you actually just mentioned two of the films that I I would love for more people to see. Um, It sounds strange to say like the, the terminal was like, an underground, you know, movie because it wasn't. It was a Tom Hanks, Steven Spielberg production, but I just... $100 million. (laughs) I just feel like it never gets the love it deserves in in their filmographies. I love that movie and I love The Imposters. Um, Another one I I adore is The Children Act. Um, Yes. Oh, wonderful movie. Uh, Is there one or two films in particular that, that, you know, you would urge people to see if they were going through your filmography that they might have missed? Well, the one movie that I really like of mine that I rewrote and directed is Blind Date, which is this very tiny movie that I did with Patty Clarkson. I shot the whole movie in six and a half days. It's a remake of a Theo Van Gogh movie. And it's my favorite film. It's very dark. Mm. I mean, it's super sad, but I love it. I mean, all the movies I, I make myself are really sort of about the same thing. They're about identity in a way. 
and the kind of the, like the role of how the artist fits into society and, and art, the artistic process in a way fits into society. And, um, so for me, yes, that one, I love that one. Yeah. The, well, there are a lot of them. I mean, there are a lot of little, just like little movies, like in the soup was a movie that I appeared that Sam Rockwell is where I met Sam. Steve Buscemi <laughs> stars in the movie. And it's a, just a beautiful movie that was made, I don't know, 25, 30 years ago. Uh, Blind Date is a wonderful film. I'm glad that you cited that one. To be honest, for I, I kind of forgot you directed it. I knew that you were the star of it. Yeah. I was like, that's right. You also were the director. Um, yeah. you- uh, it was a really incredible experience. We shot the whole thing in six and a half days Crazy. in Belgium with Theo Van Gogh's crew, uh, who became friends of mine. And um, it was just uh, probably one of the best experiences I've ever had. And Patricia Clarkson, come on. Doesn't get Doesn't get better than that. Incredible. I think Easy, Easy A, too, was one of the, is one of those movies that you're like, this is the most wonderful thing ever. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's what, such a great thing. That's, that's fun movie making. Yeah. Given, you know, this, this insane filmography where you've done every genre and every kind of character, what would you say has been your most challenging role for whatever reason? I think the two most, there are two of them. One was Conspiracy, where I met mm. Colin playing Adolf Eichmann. Um, that was hard for, I think, obvious reasons. Um, and um, uh, the lovely bones. That's going to be my guess. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And that's another one where people come up and they go, oh, I love, you know, I love that movie. I love, you know. Yeah, that one was hard. That was the hardest because, you know, yeah. who wants to inhabit that person for over a period of five, six months? This may sound superficial, but you changed your appearance so much for that movie. Um, did that help at all for you yes. to sort of disassociate that character? Totally, because I never thought that the character would look like me mm-hmm. because it's 1970s suburbia, right, in America. And at that time, for the most part, you didn't have a lot of uh, uh, more ethnic-looking people. You didn't. So I would have been an aberration. And, and I even was, because I grew up in 1970s suburb, suburbia. Um, you, you wanted someone who was sort of quintessentially uh, American. And like very, for lack of a better word, like extremely white, extremely Caucasian, and um, almost benign looking. So that you wouldn't... The person walks by, you wouldn't even know that the person walked by you. There's no distinguishing features or anything. It's just sort of, sort of beige. So to achieve that, I was lucky enough to work with Peter King, who, you know, I said, I think this is what the guy should look like. And I talked to, obviously, Peter uh, Jackson. We, we talked about it. And I said, I think he needs to be this. And I had gone through all of these photographs of serial killers in that time and, and people in that time. And I thought, so it should be mustache, pinker skin, 
we'll do a little comb over thing that was appropriate for the period glasses i changed my teeth uh and blue eyes because the eyes my eyes are too dark too sort of sometimes piercing mm-hmm. in a way and the, and it was just no had to be completely benign and then added a, a like a paunch yeah and once we did that and then i did like a slight kind of uh philadelphia accent just slight pennsylvania philadelphia um and so once you put all that stuff on then you just go but the wonderful thing was to take it off yes <laughs> <laughs> you know what i mean because then then you feel so fr- like you feel free mhm to to be burdened with that I know it sounds dramatic or silly. No, or no, it makes sense to like strip that away at the yeah, end of the day. Then you, then I knew I could because if I looked in the mirror, I just couldn't find my way. I didn't think it was appropriate for the film for for him to look like me. Not that I was afraid to look like me and be that. It just it wasn't right. Mm-hmm. And I even tried to get Peter Jackson to cast somebody else. I'm not kidding. Uh, you know, I was like, <laughs> well, why, why me? What about so and so? What about so and so? Um, but anyway, so, but then obviously adding all that stuff really helped me get there, mm-hmm. but then it helped me free myself at the end of the day. Before we go, we, we have to touch on, you are so busy right now. Um, you have another book coming out. Um, yes, I'm can you... writing a m- memoir. Oh, it's a memoir. I thought maybe yeah, it's it a memoir of uh, sort of my, my life through food. Oh, I love that. Yeah. Food. Yeah. Food is, is very important. (laughs) Um, And uh, you're doing a show for CNN. How did this come about? Well, they came to me, they, they asked me a few years ago, a couple of years ago, they were like, would you be interested in doing a show? And I thought, why are you coming to me? And um, I gave them three different ideas. And the last idea was this idea was an idea that I've had for a long time, which is to go through, every region, maybe not every region, but most regions in Italy and show the distinct differences in the cuisine and the reason for reasons for them. So geography, history, politics, uh, socioeconomics, religion, because Italy only became united in 1861. Prior to that, it was all really still city states. And Italy, if you look at it where it is geographically, it has been invaded by every single <laughs> person, you know, uh, or, uh, um, you know, every, every single country uh, in the world, almost in the world. So you have the French, the Normans, the, the, the Arabs, the Spanish, the, I mean, everybody. It's a sitting duck. But that has given it an incredible diversity and amazing food. And if you go from Piemonte or Lombardy to down to Sicily, you're basically, it's like two completely different countries. It's not a big country. It's incredible. I don't think there's another country in the world like with that kind of diversity of, of climate and definitely of food. 
And also, I know we're obviously in this uh, you, t- terrible time where live theater is not happening. Um, but I was yeah. so fortunate to get to see you and Frankie and Johnny. Oh, my um, God. Oh, oh, wow. Such a fantastic production. Oh, um, thanks. Uh, are you anxious to get back on stage again? I know it's it's a grueling thing to do, but it's yeah. been a while, hasn't it? No, yeah, it's been a really long time since then. I directed a play on Broadway about 10 years ago. And that I loved because I didn't have to do it every night. Um, so, yes, I have been lucky enough. People have asked me to do plays here and on Broadway. and But I, I, I really found it really hard. And I had done a lot of plays prior to that. Uh, but I found it difficult with a young family. Because um, you don't get to see your kids. You don't, it's, you're on a completely, uh, completely opposite schedule. I found that really frustrating. You couldn't have dinner with them. You couldn't put them to bed. You couldn't wake up with them in the morning, God knows. And so that was hard. And now I have a young family again. But I, I suppose the good thing in, in England, you can do shorter runs here mm-hmm. than you can on Broadway. Um, West End, you'll still have a long run, but not quite like Broadway necessarily. Um, and I can't sing, so no one will ever ask me to do a musical, which is, which is good. Those are the really long runs that you commit to, but that's never going to happen. Uh, so, yes, I've been talking to a number of people here, so pos- possibly in the next couple of years. But, I mean, listen, let's just hope it comes back because it's so frustrating not to be able to go to the theater or go to a jazz club or go to whatever, anything. That's Stanley Tucci, star of Supernova, which arrives on demand on February 12th. From filmmaker Mona Fastfold, The World to Come premiered at the Venice Film Festival last year and just played Sundance. It stars Catherine Waterston as Abigail, a woman living an isolated life with her husband, played by Casey Affleck, on the East Coast frontier in the 1800s. Her life changes when she begins a relationship with her new neighbor, Tally, who's played by Vanessa Kirby. I recently spoke with Waterston about the film, and we began discussing how, hailing from a family of actors, she wasn't sure if she'd join or rebel against joining them in the business. I rebelled in the artsiest way when I was in high school uh, by sort of trying every other kind of creative endeavor under the sun. Uh, Yeah, just to in an attempt to uh, distinguish myself. Um, And then at at a pretty young age, I think around 20, I I was just struck with the fear that I was going to wake up very old one day having not pursued what I wanted to pursue because, you know, my siblings did it. And that just struck me so idiotic. So, um, yeah, so that was, that was the end of that. And then I, and then I, and then I kind of went so strange to look back on those years. Yeah. I thought I was so old, (laughs) you know, when I was 20 and I thought, okay, I've, I've really let this go too long. If I'm going to do this, now I have a lot of catching up to do. And so I was in, an incredibly nerdy student and it, it was really one of the happiest times of my life. Just when I, just, just the feeling really of knowing exactly what you want and, and finding a way in it all. It was like a really, really exciting time. 
And you did a lot of theater when you started out. I was fortunate enough to get to see you in Cherry Orchard. Um, oh. Which, oh, yeah, it was amazing. I didn't really know I liked Chekhov until I saw that version because, you know, I'd just been taught yeah. it in school and it was yes. not fun. <laughs> um, did you always hope to do film and TV or, or were you thinking that stage was going to be your first love? I had no plan. <laughs> I uh, just wanted to to perform. And I, I, yeah, I didn't have any idea of how it was work to, you know, going to work out. And I, I suppose I didn't really dare to dream beyond just simple, just simply, um, just, I didn't, I didn't dare to believe beyond employment. And so, yeah, I mean, I, I think probably most actors know this feeling, but, um, yeah, it's hard. It's hard to, for me in my in my little life to think of a, f- a feeling really that tops getting hired when you're so uncertain whether the world will let you do this for a living. You know, those first jobs were really some of them incredibly lame, and I was I w- you know I was as though I had had you know just gotten the lead in like a David Lynch film or something you know I I was you know high as a kite to be cast as daughter in the Burlington Coat Factory commercial do you know what I mean like just anybody saying yes to me at that time was um I guess whatever it is like these small confirmations that you should be doing what you're doing and Mm -hmm. and you know yeah those those feelings are hard to beat I have to imagine big game changers for you were Inherent Vice and then the Fantastic Beast movies. And it's funny because I can't think of anything more different. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Did you did you feel those sort of changed your career, changed your life? It's so funny you just said change, <laughs> change your career, change your life, because um, there's a line in Inherent Vice that's change your hair, change your life. And you said it with like the kind of exact same inflection. <laughs> That's right. I'd like to believe it wasn't accidental, but I think it probably was. <laughs> um, yeah, Inherent Vice changed my life, without a doubt. And in so many ways, uh, I suppose on a personal level, that only really mean anything to me. Um, but but without a doubt, you know, there are so few directors as respected as Paul. And so if he invites you to work with him you know it is a kind of I suppose in show business it's a kind of stamp of approval and when you're starting out um there are a few things you need more than a stamp of approval because well you know a lot of people don't really know what they think and then there there's just a few people brave enough to get behind someone at the mm-hmm. beginning or I guess that from in my case it was the beginning in, in of doing film work so, so that, yeah, that was, that was simply everything. I'm not so sure about Inherent, I mean, about um, Fantastic Beasts. Um, I suppose those very big films put you on, on the map in some way. I, I've not felt it, frankly. <laughs> like, really? Yeah, it, I don't, you know, I think it really, really, really helps with helping to get small films made. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, my life didn't change at all. You know, it's not like I can't walk down the street or something. <laughs> See, that's what I thought would change because my nephews are very young and and that's the movie they know. You know, so I would think kids at least would, I don't, you know, I don't know if you, they'd stop and point at you on the street. 
small children do they don't it's interesting no i mean i just completely go unnoticed maybe it's because i'm so tall they can't see me up there <laughs> um if i'm really in conversation with a child they'll sometimes they'll just come out with it but but it's not like i'm on the train and suddenly there's a mob of small screaming girls around me or anything i usually i usually get away with it <laughs> yeah, I would imagine the inherent vice and, you know, Steve Jobs audiences are very different from the Fantastic Beasts. Well, actually, maybe not. There's probably a lot of overlap, just not children. Uh, <laughs> and your latest film, The World to Come, is, is also probably not for children. Um, but what a treat for adults. It is such a beautiful movie. Um, such a fan of the filmmaker, Mona Fastfold. Uh, how did the script find its way to you? What, what interested you in Abigail? And one of the most bizarre things about this business is that you just don't know who wants to work with you until they send you a script, you know? So Mona's narrative is that she'd been wanting to work with me for a long time, but I was completely oblivious to this. I just, I actually knew her from, um, I had spotted her at a Norwegian festival in New York because my, some of my family's Norwegian. And I was at the, this festival that, annual festival in New York and I saw her there and I was like I was just aware of her and Brady and um I say like, oh these are interesting filmmakers that I like to work with someday and I just that that's I only knew her from the you know having seen her at the festival but um yeah, but she had been sort of trying to figure out something we could do together for quite a while I was just totally unaware um so she just you know it's really straightforward she just sent me the script and um you know, I knew I wanted to do it because I was terrified to do it. Mm. And that's usually um, a good indicator. Um, the quality of the writing was so extraordinary. And um, and that's what got me first because, of course, you know, I hadn't even met Mona yet. The, the script was, in a way, I suppose, the first thing I learned about Mona because I, she wanted to make this story. And it spoke to her and it spoke to me. So I felt immediately this connection with her and a kind of a trust born out of shared taste initially. Um, and it was, it was really one of those projects where the relationship between the director and the actor is so important because I was playing someone who had this extraordinary rich inner life and um, a real inability to express all of, all of that she, all that she felt and, and had experienced. So you know, um, I heavily relied on Mona to sort of uh, track that repression in a way and make sure that I maintained it because when a voiceover is so deeply embedded in a story and in the script, um, the danger is that if I, if I express too much on top of that, then you don't really need this thing that's so, you know, is so really makes the story unique and um, and is so beautifully interwoven. So I was so afraid I if I overdid it, then she'd have to lose the voiceover and the voiceover was so wonderful. So anyway, that was the big job, right? To play someone so full of life and passion and desire that expresses so little and in subtle ways, yeah. The voiceover is beautiful. It's like poetry. It is poetry. Um, I was curious from an acting standpoint, because, you know, there's this beautiful American frontier you're shooting on. It's, you know, set so long ago. 
I imagine it was, you know, maybe even months later that you recorded the voiceover, maybe in like a little studio. Am I, am I, am I right? Or did you record on set, which wouldn't make much sense? And, and what it was like putting yourself back into that mindset? I actually, <laughs> so interesting. I don't know. I mean, it's not as interesting to me. I don't know. It's not, I don't make the assumption it's interesting to anybody else, but I haven't, I haven't thought about this a long time and I, I don't think, I don't think I ever even told Mona this, but um, the voiceover was actually the first thing I started working on. And I had the script for a year before we started shooting because, because of this, this concern I had about the, this disparity between her inner life and her exterior life that I felt I needed to build her inner life so that I had something to withhold rather than, um, uh, the alternative would be a sort of surface performance where I'm just kind of awkward and shy, but I felt I needed to know very well what I was hiding, what I was holding back. And the script gave me so much of that with the voiceover. So when I was just at home and I had no actor to play with and, and, and you know, no director to rehearse with, I just started recording the voiceover practicing it and playing with it and trying to get it in my body for lack of a better way to describe it um and then when we were on set we recorded the voiceover sort of scratch recordings throughout the shoot um because it was so important to Mona that um we we stay true to the script and keep the the, even the movements of the camera tied in with these voiceovers. So just to get the timing right, we do scratch recordings and then play them over shots and make sure that the timing of the shots worked with the recordings. Um, so it was really this, this ongoing process. We were building that voiceover as we went. And it really helped me in those scenes too, when the voiceover was playing over that I just recorded it that day on set. And it, it I think felt like it, um, informed the way I played those silent scenes. And then, so we had all of this material and then we took it in post um, to sort of fine tune it. Um, really above all, it was this extraordinary treat to get to um, live with the character for so long. It felt much more like the theater, like a long run of a show. And with the theater over time, the character works on you, your life happens alongside the character and you come up with new ideas about what she could be and everything. And so to have the film end or my process with the film end with the voiceover work in the studio just felt like such a luxury that uh, I'd been through the journey with the script for a year and then through the whole process of making the film. And then when I knew as much as I could kind of ever know about this character, I got to do this really intensive, you know, week and a half with Mona where we were just fine tuning it. So it was, it was such um, a stimulating creative process and I, and I, and I miss it. You're working with a small cast, great actors. It's really you and three other people. Were you able to sort of have fun on sets, you know, uh, even though you're dealing with serious subject matter? Yes. I think like too high a premium is put on chemistry, but the chemistry among the four of us was so off the chain <laughs> and um, uh, just kind of 
infectious. And uh, yeah, we were just scheming. How can we all work together again? I want to do a Marvel movie with them. I want to like do something completely absurd um, because the, yeah, there's something happens when the four of us are together. It is, it's pretty, pretty um, joyful. Uh, and I suppose, yes, when you're, when you're doing these kinds of, these kinds of projects, the temptation is to get a little relief, you know, from the, the pain and the intensity of what your characters are going through. But for me personally, I like, I'd rather have a laugh at dinner because I just, I, I don't want to um, give myself the relief while we're in it. I just, you know, focus is so important on set. So, so I like to kind of geek out in a corner on set, but after hours, yeah, we had a lot of, we had a lot of fun. <laughs> I'm so glad to hear it. And I would love to see the four of you get together for a heist movie and just yes. goofy, silly fun. <laughs> From your from your mouth to Hollywood's ear. That's Catherine Waterston, star of The World to Come, which goes into limited theatrical release on February 12th and then hits video on demand on March 2nd. And that's it for this edition of Variety's Award Circuit Podcast. Drew Griffith edited this episode and Michael Schneider is the producer. Be sure to subscribe to the Award Circuit Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you download podcasts. Also, head over to Variety.com and click on the Award Circuit tab to find the latest Oscar predictions in key races, as well as your daily fix of news, analysis, and reviews. For Jazz Tankay, Clayton Davis, and Michael Schneider, I'm Janelle Riley. We'll see you on the circuit. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right, ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchases, prohibited by law, 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW group. Void prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.